This is ATP Tennis Radio. Warm welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast, rounding up events from the Fever Tree Championships at London's Queen's Club and the Gary Weber Open in Halle. And what a final day of action we've had. Federer goes to the backhand of Chorich. He's up the net, plays a forward volley into the net. Chorich raises his arms. He's got a massive smile on his face. This is not the 99th title that we thought it would be for Roger Federer. He smiles, but that's a slight smile through gritted teeth for Roger Federer. It's a smile of pure elation from Borna Chorich. And he's getting a standing ovation from this crowd. Yes, they wanted his opponent to win, but they realise what a really excellent display that Borna Chorich has put in. Chilich on the cusp of the Queen's title. 40 love, 5-3. Serves to the forehand of Djokovic's long. And Marin Cilic has his second Queen's Club title. And he's done it from a set down and from a championship point down. And he's done it with some truly inspired tennis. Novak Djokovic pushed him to the limit and was one point away from his first singles title here at Queen's but Marin Cilic shows that these days mentally he is so much tougher and in four minutes shy of three hours he has scored one of the most significant titles of his career a three-set epic with Novak Djokovic who is on his way back to the top make no mistake about that but it's Cilic who has the final word here at Queen's. 5-7-7-6-6-3. He is the 2018 champion in London. A breathless day indeed. We'll talk Chilich, we'll talk Chorich, Federer and Djokovic. We'll hear from Andy Murray, Leighton Hewitt and many, many more to come. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Well, what a couple of finals we've enjoyed today. A real shock with Federer being beaten by Chorich. But uh, Claire Curran and myself, Philip Stubb, were watching what was an equally enthralling three-set epic between Marin Cilic, the top seed, last year's runner-up to Feliciano Lopez and Novak Djokovic, 12 times a Grand Slam champion who'd never won the singles title here at Queen's. Goodness me, he came close, Claire. He came within a point, but... So impressive to see Cilic come through, and not just the fact that he won today, but it was the manner in which he won, the manner in which he turned things around. Well, it's his mentality, which has just been upgraded in the last couple of years, but specifically really this year, making the final of the Australian Open, having that epic match against Roger Federer in the final there. But today, even when he wasn't playing his best tennis, he just stayed with Djokovic mentally. He kept believing in himself, made Djokovic work for his service games. And most crucially, he found a way to win despite not playing his best tennis at times. And what about that forehand running winner that hit the sideline when Djokovic looked to certainty to win that particular point? And it was that moment that actually, I think, planted the seed of doubt in Djokovic's mind. He slapped a backhand into the net, was broken for the first time, and then Cilic held firm to serve it out. Well, Cilic raised his game at the most crucial point in that match. And it was then when he hit that forehand down the line winner to get that first break of serve of the match for him. 
and that's what the great champions do. They play their very best when it really matters, and Chilix is doing that, and he's really set the seed for being one of the main contenders now for Wimbledon. A quick word about Djokovic. As far as my eyes can see, he is back to something like his old self, and I think he's going to get there. Do you agree? Well, I think he's going to get there, but Djokovic has such high standards, and we can see that he is so desperate to get back to the very top of the game. He's really disappointed with that loss today at Queen's Club. I think he will regroup. I think he'll go into Wimbledon and he could cause some serious damage. Whether he wins the tournament or not, well, it might be a little bit too soon for him. But who knows? He's a 12 times Grand Slam champion. And he's very capable. Djokovic definitely on the up, we think. But uh, today was all about Marin Cilic and his second Queen's title. Let's hear from the champion. Many, many congratulations. That was some final. How does it feel to get your hands back on that trophy? Oh, very delighted, uh, obviously. Uh, extremely happy for, for the today's win. And uh, also throughout the week, I was playing great tennis. It was extremely tough today. I had to wait almost until the last game uh, to get that uh, first uh, and, and crucial break, I guess, uh, for me in the match. And Novak was playing great tennis. And uh, it, was, it was definitely a joy to, to be a part of this final and uh, to lift this trophy again. Yeah, it was some comeback. I mean, you were in a, a mighty hole there, weren't you? How did you turn it around? Well, uh, I was in the hole and I felt I was, uh, you know, even in that first set, maybe slightly better and uh, unfortunately lost it towards the end. I had a lot of break points uh, throughout the set and uh, I felt that uh, with my game, I was, I was feeling really, really good. I was hitting the ball great and I felt that uh, when I'm going to connect it uh, and, and serve well, uh, I think it's, I'm going to get a really good chance. So I was you know, hoping that I'm going to get a chance that uh, in tiebreak I realized a couple, couple of the points and uh, then in the third set I felt I was uh, starting to play even better tennis. It's always nice to win a title, of course, and this is a very special one, but I guess in terms of this section of the calendar and what's around the corner, must give you huge confidence. The type of players you beat, a very, very strong draw. Yeah, extremely tough draw. Maybe uh, the toughest one I ever seen here in Queens. So from the first round to the final, it was, it was extremely difficult and uh, that just gives me a huge confidence, huge belief. In my own game, I felt that I uh, uh, was was even playing against uh, big servers, uh, also against a great returner like uh, like Novak today. So I uh, was looking at all different kinds of things, uh, uh, all kinds of balls as well was coming back at me, and I felt that I delivered really well and uh, throughout the week, and I hope that I'm going to continue with this uh, good form throughout the Wimbledon. So Marin Cilic winning his second Queen's title, but there was an equally dramatic finale over in Halle today where Roger Federer was going for his 99th singles title and his 10th in Halle. And I think most people believe, Claire, that he was going to get it done against Borna Choric, who admittedly pushed him very close in Indian Wells this year. But it was Choric, who's still only 21, remember, who's come out on top in three sets. Remarkable. Well, isn't it fantastic for Choric that he's starting to really finally release that potential that he has? And as you say, Phil, he's only 21 years of age. You can't really believe that because it feels like he's been in the game for so long. But for Federer, well, he's human after all, isn't he? Last week he won in Stuttgart. He made the final here. He's had a couple of very, very tough matches in Halle. Saved match points on the way to the final. He got there, but in the end, he wasn't able to win the title. 
Do you think that will bother Federer particularly, or is his eyes firmly on that uh, record-breaking ninth Wimbledon title in a few weeks' time? I don't think it will bother him. Obviously, he would have loved to have made the 99th title there, and he also would have liked to have made the 100th title at Wimbledon. But I think most importantly for him, he'll be very pleased with the amount of grass court tennis that he's got to play. He's got a week now to prepare for Wimbledon. He'll arrive at SW19, give himself plenty of time to prepare, and he will be ready for the start of the championships. But for the new champion in Halle, Borna Choric, no question that he is having a terrific season. Congratulations. You arrived here early in Halle to practice playing on grass. Yeah. You've defeated the defending champion, the world number one. It must all feel a bit surreal for you. Yes, absolutely. It was, uh, it was most humble week of my whole life. You know, I was really playing very, very good for the whole week. Um, I was serving very big also today. So, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just very pleased with the whole week. Uh, and is the serve the aspect of the game that you're most happy with? Yes, absolutely. I think I was really serving the best uh, in my whole life. Uh, I was I was feeling very confident. I was uh, I was also hitting the spots where I wanted to hit, which is not very usual for me. So yes, I was I was really happy with that. And uh, and yes, hopefully I can continue to serve like that now. In terms of your mental strength, you won the first set in a in a tiebreak. Rogers played four tiebreakers all week. He's won them all. I mean, how did you how did you keep it together? Uh, you know, in the, in the tiebreak, I think I was just a little bit lucky, to be honest. I, I saved, uh, I think, two set points, and uh, on one of them, I was actually really, really lucky. Now I remember, so you know, I needed some luck today as well, and you know, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's the tennis end of the day. Yes, it's great to see the top players in the world back in action this week, isn't it? Federer not victorious over Borna Choric today, but uh, having missed the clay court season, very much back in the swing of things on the grass with Wimbledon in mind. And of course, another player who has had tremendous success at Wimbledon is on the comeback trail as well. And Catherine Whitaker has been speaking to him. Well, Andy, it's great to have you back. At the start of the year, before you had the hip surgery, you put up a very powerful thoughtful post on Instagram about how difficult it's been for you to to be away from the sport and how you didn't realize how much you loved the sport until this period how has your view of the sport changed and your relationship with it yeah I mean I think like obviously when things are going really really well um, you know I guess so it was I think 2016 you know I'd had had a really good year and um, you know you kind of expect that to just continue and keep going um, there's lots of pressure at, at that time um, as well and the expectations are, are very high but the expectations that you have of yourself are also you know very high too um, when you've been away from the the sport for 11 months and you realize that it isn't like in 2016 I thought that you know, winning Grand Slams and being number one was the most important thing in my tennis career whereas now I don't see that. I want that to still be the case. Obviously, I love to win Grand Slams and love to get to number one in the world. All tennis players would, but I just, I just want to play tennis. Like I love playing tennis. I've really, really missed it a lot. I've missed competing. Um, you know, and that, that's, that's the most important thing. Like getting back to, to doing what, what I love doing. It's not. Sport is about winning and losing, obviously, but it's not. It's not just about that, there's more to it. Like this has been my life since I was, you know, pr pretty young. I made the decision to, to play tennis professionally when I was 15 years old. So it's been 15, 16 years of my life and I've not been able to do that for, you know, play tennis for a year now. So it's been, it's been tough, but 
you know, you, you, you look at things a little bit differently, I think, as, as you get older and go through times like that. So I'm hoping that will, will help me um, through the, the comeback. I don't want to dwell on the negative for too long, but obviously you said it there and in the post as well. You hinted at how tough it's been mentally as well as physically. How low have the lows been? Are there any particular moments you can recall feeling particularly sad and, and desperate about it all? Yeah, I think like that time, like when I was over in Australia, you know, around the time when I posted that on Instagram, because, you know, it'd been obviously it'd been six months at that stage where, you know, I hadn't played. I'd done, you know, lots of rehab. I'd been trying to avoid surgery. Um, I'd been doing what had been recommended by my team and, you know, and the doctors. And I, I hadn't got to a point where I was able to compete. And, you know, I was obviously really down at, at that stage and, you know, around that period that you know there's lots of things that are written about you and said about you and you don't always have the opportunity to respond to that and that's also like I, I know we're very lucky like to be tennis players very fortunate that we get to do this like as as our job um, but also like I said this is like it's a big part of my life um, so when you're not able to do that um, it, it is it is really difficult you know you, you can be, be be very down and it's it's hurtful when you read negative things about you as well so at that period I was yeah I was I was I was pretty low but then after I had the surgery and decided to have the surgery you know it was all about you know let's let's get back on the court let's let's do the rehab let's do whatever it takes to to get back out there and you know train hard you know, kept myself in shape the, the whole time. Um, you know, I had like a week's break after I got back from Australia from the surgery. Went on holiday for a week, but pretty much since then, it's been, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of, you know, a lot of training, a lot of long, pretty, pretty boring days of, of rehab to, to get to this stage. How much have you been following the sport? Have you been desperately watching most matches or has it been painful to, for you to, to watch it too much? Um, I, at the beginning, I watched a lot and then, then then I didn't really um, like you know like during the French Open for example I saw bits and pieces but I didn't sit down and watch like loads of tennis which normally like I, I would have done but you know I've also during those tournaments not like I've just been sitting at home like I've been you know I've been training and rehabbing and spending lots of time doing that stuff as well so certainly at the beginning I you know, I was I was watching a lot of tennis and really missing it. Maybe when I was less active, then as I started to progress, like with the the rehab and stuff, I've kind of, well, I guess, maybe been a bit more selfish and just kind of concentrated on 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 myself and and trying to get myself better rather than than following the the sport that much. In the last year, we've seen two slams for Federer, two for Nadal. Is it kind of comforting to you to see two guys over thirty who have been through, obviously, particularly Nadal? their fair share of injury woes still dominating the sport. Yeah, I think that's the, I mean, that's obviously nice. A lot of the, you know, the older players recently have been doing, you know, have been doing better. And I think a lot of it is down to, to, to the level as well. Like they're two of the best players of all time. So providing they are healthy, you know, they're going to be able to compete and, and win the, the biggest competitions. And that's something that Obviously, over the last year, you know, Novak has been injured, Stan was injured, myself was injured. You look at someone like Del Potro as well, who's been through lots of different um, issues and, you know, is, is back now pretty much at the top of the game, you know, competing for, for the biggest events. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, 
sort of case studies around um, just now that, that give you, you hope and, and optimism. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if this week I'm going to be playing well. I don't know if it will be in like three or four weeks time, but maybe, you know, in, in three, four months when I've had a bit more sort of matches under my belt and a bit more training time that um, hopefully I'll be able to get back to that level again. You've become very accustomed to playing under a huge deal of pressure, I guess, internal and external. None of that now. Is there something a little bit liberating about that? I still think oh, I'll feel very nervous just because, you know, when you get out there, you, you want to perform and you want to play well in terms of, you know, my, my expectations. Like, they're, they are extremely low. Um, but, yeah, obviously, I, I want to be competitive. I don't just want to go out there and sort of roll over and, you know, play play badly like I want to try and play well and feel good on the court but my expectations are pretty low and just finally Andy three Grand Slam titles world number one and knighthood two Olympic gold medals Davis Cup what unfinished business do you feel you still have in this sport I, I don't I don't know if it's so much like about like a result I think kind of getting back and sort of after such a long time out like I guess proving to myself that I can still you know, still perform at this at this level. Um, you know, I, I've I've said quite openly, like I'm I'm quite I'm quite motivated to play to to have my daughters come along and watch. I w I would really like that. So at least, you know, before I stop, that maybe they would have an understanding of of what it is that that, that I did. Um, so yeah, that that's really it. I mean, not it's not it's not about winning ma major competitions. I would love to do that. And I still hope that that's the case. And I'll work extremely hard to, to try and do that. But it's not the most important thing. Andy Murray, Claire. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that any of us imagined that he would even set foot onto the grass courts this summer in a competitive fashion, having played so little tennis. Our understanding was that he hadn't had much practice, having recovered from his hip surgery. There was some suggestion he had a bit of a setback while uh, rehabbing. And yet he's come out here at Queen's and not only played on the grass, but produced a, a really terrific level of tennis in a very close match with Nick Kyrgios. Well, I will admit, I didn't think that he would have been playing at Queen's even up until three days before the championships actually started. But he went out and he played. And I think within about 30 minutes, everybody realized why this man is such a great champion. And what a performance he put in. Most importantly, he got to play in three sets and he played Kyrgios and really it was his competitive instinct that just amazed me in his performance out there. It hasn't gone away at all. Maybe in the end he got slightly fatigued. You could see that in his service game when he eventually got broken. You would expect that. But those were really encouraging signs for everybody to see. Yeah, well, it's great to see Murray back. And of course, he will now play at Eastbourne and he's up against Stanislas Vavrinka as well, who uh, is no stranger to injury himself, having had a major knee surgery. What a first round match that is in the build up to Wimbledon at Eastbourne. Well, 13 months ago, those two men were contending for the final place at the French Open Championships. Who would have thought that they would have had the year that they did ahead of them? They did, but they're both trying to find their way back. It's fantastic for the tournament at Eastbourne that both men are in it. Maybe not so good that they're playing each other in the first round, but it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that match. And talking of hip injuries, and I know from your own personal experience, and this is one of the hardest 
sorts of injuries to recover from, particularly after surgery. You know, history suggests it, it's it's not easy. I mean, realistically, what can Murray achieve, do you think, for the remainder of this grass court season? Well, it's difficult to say because as far as I'm aware, I've never really 100% known exactly what it is that Maria's had the problem with, the hip is sore, the groin, but what was the actual surgery? None of us really know that. But I can only say from my own experience, having had a labrum tear, it's a very difficult, um, it's, the surgery is great. You don't feel any problems really after the surgery, but it's the effect that it has on your hip after that. Will he ever recover to being 100% back to the way that he used to be? Well, I certainly didn't, but then I didn't have the team of specialists around me that Murray has, the team of strength and conditioners that, that he has, and I'm sure that, and also, I'm not Andy Murray, and this is a guy who probably, despite a lot of odds, he has really taken himself to the top of the game and done what very few people maybe thought that he, he could do. Yeah, I think he thoroughly enjoys proving people wrong, doesn't he? And we certainly wish Murray well in his continued comeback from that uh, hip surgery. Well, away from the spotlight, ATP World Tour Uncovered has been speaking to another young star who's been in fantastic form on the grass. Alex Domino has been on a roll. This month, he captured his first ATP Challenger title after also breaking the top 100. Add Leighton Hewitt, former world number one to his team, and things are looking promising for the next-gen Aussie. Well, I've noticed Alex through the junior ranks, um, but I went and watched a lot of his matches when he made the run a couple of years ago at the Wimbledon Juniors and he went all the way to the final. The one thing that really impressed me with his work ethic, it's hard when you first come on the tour and, and you've just come out of juniors and all of a sudden you're at the big stage, you're in the locker room sharing with all these top players that you've looked up to and idolised for so much of your junior career um, and to have that belief that you can go out there and match it with them isn't the easiest thing straight away and, and that's the one thing I think that really took the last 12 months for Alex to actually believe that he belongs here um, and I think we're starting to see the results you know pay dividends now. Yeah it's been huge you know I've had uh, that outside help you know really tell me to believe in myself and you know believe in my abilities and just pretty much leaving it all out there. I think that now every time I step out on court you know I give it my all and I try to to win every point. With over 600 match wins and 30 tour-level titles, Hewitt knows what it takes to make it on the ATP World Tour, making the Australian legend the perfect man to help out. Yeah, the one good thing about Alex, I think he has an open mind, so he's kind of like a sponge as well, which is, yeah, it, it's good to work with those kind of players. You know, he goes out there, he competes all the time, he gives 100% on practice court, on the match court, uh, in the pre-season. I think that was a big, big reason why he's had the pre-season he had and the build-up as well in Australia. I think that sort of came in stages as well. Uh, it was probably a bit over a year ago where he got his first opportunity to play um, in the Grand Slam at the Australian Open and play over five sets and, and be around the tour players uh, for a few weeks. And, and I think he learnt a lot, uh, just how to be professional, go about everything in absolutely the right way. Um, and we saw big improvements there, but then you take that to a year later, and then he started to get that self-belief that he could match it with the best players in the world. It shows the belief that he can be out here and play against the best players, and, and I think that's going to hold him in good stead for the rest of 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's always great to hear you know, his experiences, you know, because he's actually experienced everything there is on a tennis court, so you know, a couple of things here and there to, to learn for myself, you know, 
you know, you sort of dream about things like this and, and now it's actually happening, so I'm just really uh, enjoying every moment of it. So, do the two Aussies see any similarities in their games? <laughs> I still think I was quicker, but uh, he, he thinks he's one of the quickest guys out there, but I know I've got a bit slower over the last 20 years, but I still uh, reckon I might have had him covered. Man, maybe in this prime time. <laughs> but that, that was a long time ago. <laughs> And it's not just Deminor who Hewitt has been mentoring. The Aussie legend has been at Queen's this week playing doubles with Nick Kyrgios. And ATP tennis radio presenter Gigi Salmon managed to speak to him about being back on one of his favourite surfaces. Leighton, I guess it goes without saying, but this must be such a special place for you to return. Yeah, absolutely. I love coming back here. Uh, it's a fantastic tournament. It was always one of my favourites. And playing on this centre court's always been so special as well. And uh, I was fortunate enough to win it here quite a few times. And, um, you know, always, it used to be the first one straight after the clay court season as well. And I much preferred playing on grass. So I was always really excited to come and play at the Queen's Club. What are the other little things about this tournament that make it so special? If you were describing it to someone who'd never been... Yeah, it's funny. Oh, it's grown over the years. Obviously, this centre court's even got bigger and bigger every year now, and it's amazing crowds. It's a great atmosphere. Uh, this grass court, in my mind, is the best grass court in the world uh, that you could ever play on. It plays so true out there. Um, you know, even lasting the whole week, if you make it through to the finals, it's still such a nice court to play on. Um, out the back, we get treated exceptionally well as well. Um, it's always such a strong field. You have some of the best players in the world, and there's no easy matches, so you know if you do well at this tournament then you're certainly playing well going into Wimbledon. And it's such an interesting tournament because the clay court season has recently finished some have played a little bit on grass others haven't you're adapting to a new surface so I just I find it extra special for those reasons. Yeah absolutely and some of those players are, are the top guys that have done really well at the French Open and they have to adjust pretty quickly to sometimes a greasy grass court in the first couple of days and uh, so you've got to be careful not to slip over but also go out there and try and get as many matches as possible uh, leading into a Grand Slam only a couple of weeks away. Now you're entered into the doubles with Nick Kyrgios, was it he come to you, you come to him, how did this playing here together come about? I know you get on really well but how did the actual right we're going to play at Queen's? Uh, yeah well, it's a hard one because I was, uh, I'd played a couple of other tournaments and then we sort of spoke and I knew Nick was coming to play here uh, we've played once uh, before a couple of years ago together um, but you know we uh, have a mutual respect for each other, he obviously plays Davis Cup for me as well and he's the, the spearhead of our Australian team and we get along really well and uh, you know, no doubt we'll have a bit of fun out there. How nice is it for you to be back playing in some of the doubles tournaments again because you've retired? Is, do we call this a comeback? Is this a comeback? No, I don't think it is because I never retired from doubles. So uh, I never actually played that much doubles on the tour. Um, I won a Grand Slam uh, US Open in doubles back in 2000 before I actually won my singles once. Um, and so for me, I actually enjoy still going out there and being able to somewhat compete against these uh, good players. But uh, on the doubles frame, I'm actually not, not that much older than uh, most of the players. And it must be fun because you, you've got that collie, you've got that friend beside you. There's just a different feel than to being on a singles court. Yeah, it is totally different, um, but it's still nice to go out there and uh, let out the competitive juices, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I'm still very competitive once I get on the court. And it's nice to play with some of these young Aussie boys too that you know have such a bright future. They're very talented, but they're still uh, working on their games. And, and for me to know you know how they handle different pressure and expectation when they're actually out there on a match court, it's, it's a good thing for our Davis Cup 
team. Claire, what can you say about Leighton Hewitt? I mean, he's made more comebacks than Lazarus, hasn't he? <laughs> and I, I think he must struggle to get through customs because he's got so much metal in his body. Practically every uh, tendon has been snapped, every bone has been broken at some point or another, but he still has a passion for the game, doesn't he? Whether he's playing it, whether he's involved in doubles or whether he's watching from the sidelines. Well, I think not only he has a passion for the game, but he also has a passion to give back to the game. And that's what really impresses me about Leighton Hewitt because he he could be really off enjoying his retirement, number one in the world. He doesn't really need to be doing this, but but he is. And most importantly, he's giving back to those players. Kyrgios this week, we saw that at Queen's. But I watched him practice at Surbiton a couple of weeks ago. And if you were a young player and didn't really know much about Leighton Hewitt, you would firstly have no idea that this guy was maybe semi-retired his level of commitment on the practice court was just astounding. He has not lost that at all. He is a remarkable character, isn't he? Unless we forget, a former world number one, a Wimbledon champion and a US Open champion. And there's life in the old dog yet, it would appear. It's been great to hear from Leighton Hewitt. And he's not the only elder statesman who's graced the courts at Queen's this week, of course. Seb Lozier has been out and about. And later on, we'll hear a fantastic interview that he conducted with the man from Bosnia-Herzegovina, Damir Juma. But first of all, he's been speaking to a Canadian great who's teamed up with one of the game's most promising stars. I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Nestor. Senior statesman of Canadian tennis, I think we'll call you politely, Daniel. For 45 years old now and still out there going strong. Must be something in the water in Toronto, but uh, you're still enjoying it most importantly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know that uh, the end is near and uh, I'm just trying to make the most of the uh, last few months on tour, for, sh for sure. Such a successful career, 24 years out there. Um, and four titles here at Queen's, of course, so you've got plenty of memories to, in the bank to think back to. Yeah, I mean, this tournament has been very special for myself, my family. Uh, it's uh, the end of the school year for the kids, so they love coming here. They have friends here, actually, that uh, live in the same building that we rent, so it's a special time for all of us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of the best tournaments of the year by far, and uh, they take care of us so well. It's, uh, it's great playing on grass. The courts are in great shape, and it's just uh, it's an amazing event. And uh, so I feel very fortunate to have played it so many times. And what has been your career exit strategy was it always a certain tournament uh no not really i, I realized that uh, you know the end of last year things had changed and uh you know i didn't feel as competitive uh, as i had in the past and uh, i knew when that day came that uh you know it was, uh, was going to be time to to stop i wanted to play you know one more season and uh and uh, the way the davis cup worked out uh we're playing in september in toronto i'd like that to be my last match if uh, if i'm chosen now, you're playing with Dennis here in London, uh, some doubles. And I wanted to ask you just about this young, exciting crop of Canadian players. I mean, as part of a, a younger crop in general. Um, first of all, what do you make of Dennis and how quickly he's just burst yeah. onto the scene? He's got so much game that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. At, at such a young age that he has such potential and uh, so much firepower. And, uh, you know, it's... The only thing that I think he, he needs to be worried about now is controlling that firepower and uh, using it at the right moments. But uh, that's a really good problem to have. And uh, I think, uh, you know, he's he's on his way to the top 10, uh, if not higher. And then, you know, we already have Milos up there and, uh, and uh, you know, Vasek and, and Felix and, you know, all these great young players. And, and even on the women's side, there's some some good talent. And uh, so it's uh, it's definitely a golden era for Canadian tennis. What's Dennis like to play with? 
It's a lot of fun uh, playing with someone that serves big, hits big, you know, aggressive at the net. Uh, makes uh, life very easy for me. And uh, you know, I've I've tell them we have an option of uh, you know me hitting and running off the court and you taking over. Uh, I don't mind that strategy either. So it's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun and and just his, his attitude and you know he's he's so carefree and you know enjoys every moment and it's it's really fun to be around someone like that. I spoke with Martin Londero, his coach in in Miami, I think it was, and he was he was saying how you know he's trying to temper Dennis's natural flair yeah. sometimes, yeah. Um, and he he was encouraging him to, to play more doubles. I think. How, how do you think it can help his game? Um, I think you know if there's, I think a lot of uh, you know of the, the the upcoming stars in tennis, you know, just the way the game has evolved over the years, you know, they don't get maybe enough net play. And I think uh, you know, anytime you know, some of these guys can play a little extra, and, and especially playing at the net, and, and maybe learning, fine-tuning those skills a little bit more, can can only help them, you know, in their singles. Because you know, the way Dennis plays, he hits such a big ball that he's more often than not in control of the rally. And uh, you know, when you have your opponent on the ropes, a lot of the time, but a lot of balls tend to sail. So getting that. Uh, that experience of uh, intercepting balls, taking a few more out of the air, is uh, is definitely key, and I think uh, you know will help them to the next step, uh, you know, on to the top. And I know we get caught up in sort of superlatives and predictions and stuff, but would you be surprised if in 10, 15 years' time he wasn't a Grand Slam winner, someone like Dennis? No, not at all. I think uh, uh, you know, I think. Milos definitely has a chance. I think Dennis, you know, has numerous chances, and and even a guy like Felix, uh, as well. And you know, someone like Dennis come tournaments like uh, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. You know, maybe not so much on 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 clay, but uh, you know, Australian Open, depending on the court conditions. I think uh, you know the way he plays. If he gets hot. You know, we're talking about right now. Even I feel like he can uh, he can win these tournaments uh, if he gets hot. And you know, in a couple of years, with a little more experience and and you know, just the right shot selection, I think uh, you know, it's it's Grand Slam. Every Grand Slam, he's going to be uh, competing. So I think uh, you know, he's he's got 15 years to look forward to of uh, competing for Grand Slam titles. So I, I don't even know if we'd be talking about one. Uh, Grand Slam title we could be talking about several and it is incredible how quickly these guys have burst on I mean in Felix's case he's still 17 I mean you were what in your almost late 20s I think with 12 or 14 career titles when he was born I mean does it surprise you how quickly these guys now burst onto the scene for sure Uh, you know especially uh, you know you you would think uh, with all the distractions nowadays that uh, some of these younger guys, you know, would mature a little bit later. But uh, you know, the Canadian guys are, are really maturing uh, early. And uh, and the most the thing I've been most uh, impressed with is the maturity level of uh, of all of them, pretty much. And you know, the focus and the desire to be the best they can be at such a young age, which is something that uh, you know I didn't really have uh, when I was. I, just comparing myself, I mean, I was a late bloomer in, in pretty much everything, and and one of the things was understanding what it takes to be a top player, and these guys, you know, uh, you know, it seems like from from their early teens, uh, you know, recognize that they want to be the best in the world, and and uh, that's what's most impressive to me. Just finally, Daniel, um, when the racket has been ceremoniously hung up, um, come September and the, and the Davis Cup's done, 
what next for you? Are you going to stay involved in Canadian yeah. tennis? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, like I said, this is a golden era for for Canadian tennis, and uh, you know, there's opportunities at all levels. Uh, people are excited about the game, so I think. Uh, you know, I'll be definitely involved in uh, trying to continue that uh, you know success we've had over the last uh, ten years and and keep it going for sure. Daniel Nesta, thank you. Thank you. I'm sitting here in the players' lounge at Queens with Damir Jumhor, world number 29. First of all, Damir, thank you very much for talking with us on ATP Tennis Radio. Uh, and I wanted to talk with you ever since I saw the the film that uh, ATP Uncovered did with you in Sarajevo wonderful film uh, if anyone hasn't seen it 10 minutes long on on the website um first of all let, can we start with that and just how was that having a crew come and film with you in in your hometown um and and talk talking about all those things yeah i mean it was it was really uh, great a few days while they were there but was, die, I <laughs> well this guy's always jumping in that was novak Djokovic, by the way yeah. Um, now we can continue. Um, it was it was really great. Um, the the team that was there with with Kate it was uh, just just amazing. Um, even though the weather wasn't really perfect, we knew that the first day is going to be good. So we tried to do as much as we had to do outdoor to 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 film in that first day. Um, and and then um, then it was a little bit rainy. We also went for a football match of, of, of my team. They everybody knows that I'm a big fan of, of uh, football club Jalisnichar in my home city, and um, it was great experience. I mean, um, it was it was also very nice to, to hear all that and, and to see again that that old old, old story. Um, Ten minute long, as you said. Um, I really I really liked it. Really liked the way they, they put everything in. Uh, it was it was easy and, and smooth, no no re- no really troubles, and also uh, having them and, and talking uh, not just while filming, but also that I could show uh, show them a little bit of my city, of my hometown. It was it was, it was a really great experience. And you're having your your father and, and your mother both involved. Your your mum in particular looked pretty emotional at times. Yeah yeah yeah. We had we had uh, everybody had. His time in that movie, um, mother, brother, and and father, and yeah, mom is always. You know, moms are so emotional with the with the with the um, with the guy, especially. And um, she was she was emotional, you know, because remembering uh, what happened 25, 26 years ago, it always gets you a little bit emotional, and especially that time um, for her was 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 tough. I mean, for the whole family, but for her was especially. Um, she was um, giving a birth, and, and, and the war already started. Nobody knew how long it's going to take. Nobody knew what what is really going to be and what is going to look like in the city. And in the end, it was four long years for for my family um, being with with me on a, uh, being with me together. So um, I know how tough was for for them to overcome that. Uh, but then after 25, uh, almost 26 years, when we were talking about it. Um, I think they, they were so proud of, 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 of everything what happened and uh, you know emotions are, are okay yeah it's a wonderful film I urge anyone to watch it fast forward 26 years as you say and here we are you're number 29 in the world arriving in leafy West London playing Queens for the first time yeah true playing Queens for the first time uh, actually you know the Queens Queens is one of the strongest 500 tournaments always great players coming one of the best in the world and um, it wasn't easy uh, in last years to get in 
and then um, you know I was always ranked between um, 60 and 90, and I would I would uh, I would I was always thinking of of coming here for qualies, but then I would say maybe grass is not the surface that I really like. But I changed my mind really definitely, especially after after last last two years I was playing very good on grass court, solid matches. Uh, I felt good on grass. Um, the only thing is that I never played a lot of uh, grass tournaments, but then I decided this year I'm going to play. I'm going to play Queens. I heard it's really one of the nicest tournaments um, on tour, and, uh, and I'm really I'm not surprised what I see, but. Uh, I, I just can say all the best uh, from the old organization and everything. Um, they take really, um, they take care of the players. Everybody feels like at home, and I really like London. And I, I, so far, I like this tournament. The last 12 months, you, you mentioned, it's been a whirlwind, hasn't it? I mean, the the rise that you've had to to win the first title in St. Petersburg, which was then swiftly followed by your second. How much of a breakthrough did that feel like? Yeah, you know, um, being uh, being 60, 70, 80 in the world, of course, you wanna you wanna improve, you wanna go f- um, more, you wanna do more, but you are you you are really not sure at what point you can do it. Uh, you are really not sure what what you have to do sometimes, you know. And then, of course, you are practicing hard, you are doing everything you can, uh, you are trying uh, together with your team uh, to go forward, but. Um, Sometimes it's, there is just small things that needs to change um, to get all uh, done. And then uh, at the last um, last few months, especially from uh, from August of last year, I started to play my best tennis. I had uh, amazing uh, results through through the next three months. And uh, then I won I won that first ATP title. First, I played final of of ATP in Winston Salem just before the US Open. Um, next tournament I played after US Open was uh, was a title, and then everything changed. You, you can you just you just see how much you can do. You know uh, that you really belong to be there, winning, playing a final, winning a tournament, winning another title. And that means that that you belong there. That means that it's not just by the accident there. And um, and then then you realize that um, that you can play good tennis and that you can make. Um, great results, and you know you are now. I'm I'm just followed by those those results. Of course, I'm playing uh, um, biggest tournaments. Um, I'm trying to to compete with the I'm p- competing with the with the best guys on tour, and that what's what's what what you really what you really want while while you are working. You mentioned the little things that you did differently to to really make that happen. When you look back now, months later. What were the differences? What, what what helped you to get to that next level? Um, I'm pretty much sure it's self-confidence. It's believing in yourself, uh, and uh, you know, well, you can you can be a really good player. You can play good. You can feel good on court. But if you don't believe that you can achieve something, that you can make something, um, then then you won't make it. Then you won't make it. At some point, you start to believe in yourself. At some point, that uh, you get that self-confidence. It's so much easier to go on court. It's so much easier to play matches. It's so much easier to overcome uh, difficulties, to overcome those tough moments in the match, uh, those close close matches. And since that point, I, I I won so many close matches. 
Uh, the ones that I would lose earlier, I, I was winning. I was winning three set matches. Um, I was winning seven, six in a third set. And, and it's not that, that I was just so much better player. No, but I just had more confidence. I would just, at, for the in, in important moment of the match, I would pull something, uh, something good. I would play some, some good shot. I would, I would have the, that confidence to go for it. And that makes, that makes so much different in tennis. A player with the confidence and without confidence is totally different. And how much of the hard work, how much of the hard yards are you putting in back at home in, in Sarajevo? How much do you actually get to go back there these days? Um, you, you know that, that all, those res, all good results in any sport are not just coming without the hard work. It's impossible. Um, and, and especially I would say, you know, if you are coming from a country as, as I'm coming from a small country, Bosnia-Herzegovina, that is really not giving so much for sport, that is not just giving you almost anything to, 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 to be a professional tennis player. And uh, then, then you know actually how, how hard you were working and uh, how much you had to, for how many things you had to say no uh, just just to, to become a professional player and also to become a player with uh, with the good results with uh, being a top 30 player um, and actually I feel that 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 just makes you even more proud that that's that's how I feel you know I'm proud of my country and I'm proud of, of that I'm coming from that country but I also feel proud that uh, I, I came uh, through through all that together, of course, with my parents, um, uh, and it even makes me more prouder. And you say you're a football fan. Um, Bosnia and Herzegovina just missed out on the World Cup, didn't they? Um, that must have been agonising for you. But are you still watching the FIFA World Cup? I am watching, but you know, we just we just talked yesterday while uh, while Serbia was playing. My my coach Ilya Bozolac is is from Serbia, and we were watching together with Novak. And you know, the, uh, watch watch them. They're you know like shaking, you wait waiting, because uh, it was five minutes um, the extra time, and then it was 97 minutes. The referee still not um, whistling the the end. But uh, then then I was like, oh my, it's so bad watching every other team, but not your team. But when you when you don't have your team, when you cannot cheer and follow, because I know how was how it was for last World Cup. How, how good is 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 to have your team, and unfortunately Bosnia is not there. They have really good team, and I was surprised that they didn't go um, um, from that group. But um, that's that's how it is. Sometimes um, you have to you have to 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 just to follow somebody else. And who's who's the second team? Who are you who are you supporting instead? Yeah, I, I was always I was always fan of of Spain and how they play and, and the style of of their game, because my the team that I that I um, that I'm a big fan of is Barcelona. Uh, there there are many players in, in in Spain team and also I really like the the how how the Spain is playing. So I would say they're my uh, favorite. And just finally, Damir, um, we mentioned your number twenty nine in the world. No, that that means that. Uh, You'll be seeded with that ranking at Wimbledon. Um, how high are your hopes and your expectations on grass over these weeks? Yeah, it's actually it's going to be first time that I'm going to be seeded at Wimbledon. That gives me more chances, definitely. Uh, but even being seeded, 
doesn't doesn't really mean so much because you have many many players uh, unseeded players that can play really good on grass and that are very dangerous on grass so you know you need sometimes to be a little bit lucky in the draw um, but definitely Wimbledon is the only Grand Slam that I didn't uh, catch the third round so I would I would say the goal is is to to go to the third round and and really as I told you um, last two years I was playing good at Wimbledon I was feeling well I had good matches on, on grass um, and right now I, I feel good on grass I, I, I played good I prepare good so um, I think I'm able to, to make a good result again at the, the Grand Slam at the Wimbledon so the goal is third round but who knows with a good draw maybe I can go for it We wish you the best of luck thank you very much Damir Jumhor thank you Thank you very much Yeah some terrific interviews and some fantastic tennis this week from both Queens and indeed from Haller as well my thanks to Claire Curran for making her ATP Tennis Radio debut. I've got a feeling you quite enjoyed yourself, Claire. Well, it was great fun. What a match to start with. Final of Queens. I couldn't have asked for much more, but you were pretty good company as well. Oh, um, you're too so kind. Thank you. Checks in the mail. But what a terrific <laughs> final. And it bears repeating, doesn't it, for Marin Cilic to have turned around a set deficit against Djokovic and to come through and win that title. Yes, OK, he's won a Grand Slam. He's won the US Open. But I think this will be one of the sweetest titles on his CV because of the way in which he did it against a player of Djokovic's calibre. Well, I couldn't agree more with you and more than anything he will hold on to that as he drives up the road from the Queen's Club towards SW19 and he'll take that confidence with him into the biggest tournament. And talking about young players on the up, Borna Cioric to defeat Roger Federer in a Halle final in three sets. I mean, that's just evidence of how far he's taken his game in the last 12 months when it looked as though he might be regressing a little bit he's really made big strides this year well massive strides physically as well he just looks like he's taken that next step up and really he's fulfilling the potential that we all saw so early in his career and let's hope that it continues Exciting times indeed in the game of tennis with some of the young stars really making a name for themselves and the old stages, the legends of this golden generation certainly making a splash as well. They're all on their way back. It promises to be a fascinating summer. Be sure to join us next week when we'll be coming to you from Wimbledon Village on the eve of the Wimbledon Tennis Championships. And in the meantime, of course, remember to check out the ATP World Tour website for all the scores from the upcoming 250 events in Eastbourne and Antalya. But for now, we'll see you later.